You're listening to the Brand Builders Podcast with your hosts, Scott Dunstan and Brian Young. Welcome to another episode of the award-winning Brand Builders Podcast powered by the Dunstan Group. My name is Brian Young, and we are here with the two amazing people behind Milk Glass Pie and Old North Farm. That's Kia Mastriani and Jamie Swafford. Now, once upon a time, there was a farm just north of the river. The farm had the best produce anyone had ever seen. Now, the two farmers each had a specialty. One could turn the food they grew into drinks that not only tasted good, but they were good for you. The other farmer could transform the food they grew into the most delicious pies. Now, does this sound like the beginning of a fairy tale? I think so. But what's happening, and this is exactly what's happening over at Old North Farm. Now, today, we are joined by these two amazing people who are going to peel back the curtain on the fairy tale farm life, give us a glimpse into their business, which is Milk Glass Pies and Old North Shrub, I believe. Is that right? Old North Shrub? And um, so I'm excited about this. First off, Milk Glass Pies sounds absolutely amazing. I'm not going to just say that's my favorite already, but that sounds unbelievable. So thank you guys so much for joining us on this episode of the Brand Builders Podcast. Thank you for having us and Thank happy you. birthday to you. Thank you. I appreciate it. It was a great birthday uh, so far. My two young sons surprised me very early in the morning and my four-year-old opened all my presents. So it was, uh, it was, uh, it was a great morning. Um, so thank you for that. So for, uh, and we can start with whoever wants to start here, if that's Kia or, uh, or Jamie, uh, tell us a little bit about yourselves um, and, and really kind of just kind of tell, tell us where you came from and what got you into your journey, and then we'll jump into this. Great. Uh, this is Kia here. Um, I'll, I'll give you kind of the short version. Uh, I, you know, I moved to North Carolina in 2010, and I ended up, I landed in Charlotte and started a career in food writing. Uh, I started writing for local magazines in Charlotte. And for the better part of a decade, just kind of grew that writing career into a regional and national um, career as well. And I got to travel all over the South and write stories about people who are making food, growing food, artisans. And um, one of my early stories was about a chef turned farmer um, who was growing food for chefs and who was growing food with the mind of a chef. And and you know that that put me into collision with with Jamie. And um, like I normally tell people, I don't usually fall in love with my subjects. But uh, <laughs> that was what happened. And so uh, we met because I wrote a couple stories about him, one for Charlotte Magazine and the defunct publication Edible Charlotte. And uh, and that kind of began our journey in food together. And through that journey, I you know I was writing about food. But I also kind of took on a side hustle, um, definitely encouraged by Jamie. And I started baking pies and that kind of grew a grassroots following. Um, eventually, I kind of uh, jumped ship from Charlotte and moved to Shelby to be closer with Jamie. And we farmed a season together and our journey kind of uh, merged into now where we live on our farm that we have together. It's our farm property. We built a cottage bakery inside the house where I bake from full time. I still write a little bit, uh, but more for um, a newsletter that documents stories and essays from the farm called Pleasant Living um, and an occasional byline here and there. Um, and Jamie does most of the farming. And then I, you know, I'm here baking pies right now. Um, my, I have one full time employee and she's over there cranking out crumb crust while I do this podcast. I love it. That's amazing. My four-year-old would love to see your farm. You don't find many people that move to the city and then move back to a farm, but I love it because as we get older, me and my wife always talk about this. We are blessed to have an acre where we live and we, we back up into a floodplain. So we feel like we're kind of in the woods and in our own world, but I just love it. You know, I, I've never been somebody where it's like, Hey, I'd love to live on 10 acres and just not have neighbors, but I think I'm there. You know, I don't know if I could do the whole farming part, but it sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so it's a good life. Yeah. Jamie, tell, tell us about you uh, and your background and, and how you got to this point. Yeah. So uh, my name's Jamie and I'm a, I like to say that I'm a recovered chef. <laughs> I grew up on this farm property that we're back on now. And I took the first train leaving. Like I wanted no part in it. We had livestock. Uh, my grandfather, I'm third generation here. Uh, my grandfather had a commercial 
poultry operation, which was how he paid the bills. Um, and it was for egg production. And so I grew up working in that and, and I just wanted out, you know? So I left right after high school. I needed a job where I could eat for free. That was basically my stipulation. So I got a job in a kitchen washing dishes and that started me on this path to, um, to just the, the life of learning about food through that lens. And 20 year career in kitchens and for the further I got and, and the, the further up the ladder I got, the more questions uh, came uh, rather than answers. You know, how many, how many hands had touched these carrots before I got them? How long has this lettuce been on the shelf since it's been harvested? What has this broccoli been sprayed with before I got it? And I'm now I'm feeding people and I need these answers. And, and the only way that I could get that was to uh, get in the dirt. Um, so after, after 18 plus years in the kitchen uh, and a couple conversations with my folks, I was able to come back out to the farm and start growing for just a handful of chefs that I had made connections with. And that grew every year. Um, and then, you know, I was trying to keep everything off the books, under the radar, and this lady wanted to write a story about about everything that I was doing. And and politely, I was like, you know, no, thanks. I don't think there's a story here. But she wouldn't take no for an answer. And, and you know, soon after that, like this, this lady, she made the first pie of, that anyone has ever made for me other than like my grandmother, you know. Um, she baked a pie for me and it was a buttermilk pie. And it was like the best thing I'd ever tasted. Um, so I knew she had talent from that point and, and I didn't know that we would be here today doing the things that we love, but I knew that it was going to be an interesting adventure. Um, fast forward another, like I grew by myself minus the one year that we grew together, which we had the most beautiful gardens and, and the most beautiful produce that year. Other than that, I grew by myself for about eight years. I took on some side projects, did some consulting and built another farm for another group. Um, and I've done a little bit of side work, but mostly it's just head and head and hands in the dirt, like learning what I was doing. Um, we were able to, through getting married, we were able to get a small piece of property back on my family's land. And, uh, and today that, that is the home of Old North Farm. Um, we have three and a half acres and we're farming on one acre. Um, during this journey, uh, some friends of some good friends of mine that I was foraging for and that I was, um, growing ingredients for Jason and Jeff Alexander, who own uh, free range brewing, they were opening up their brew space on, uh, North Davidson and they were looking for a non-alcoholic beverage to put into, uh, to put on draft. And the only stipulation they gave me was not kombucha. We have kombucha lined up already. Would you like to do something with that? And I was like, yeah, I can do something with that. And I started researching and going down the rabbit hole of like vinegar based beverages and, and found shrub through that and Posca like goes all the way back to the Greeks and the Romans, uh, like all of these different vinegar based drinks. And I took all of that knowledge and we just started playing around in the kitchen and came up with what today is known as Old North Shrub. We have five flavors that go calendar year round, um, three that go year round, two more that are seasonal and probably have one more in the next year. Um, but that has been a slow organic growing value added product. We grow, we forage and source ingredients responsibly for that. So that is one leg of what Old North Farm does. We also still grow for chefs and restaurants. Uh, we're growing for restaurants in Charlotte through mostly through Freshlist, which has been a great, uh, a great asset to the culinary community there. Um, and then also, most recently, we're uh, servicing chefs and restaurants in Asheville. We do a farmer's market every Saturday year-round in Shelby. There's the Foothills Farmer's Market. And we also did, this is our, we've been, we're coming up on 18 months that this farm has been 
ongoing. And we just finished our first full season of CSA. Um, we call it Old North Farm Share. We had about 25 members and we packed out about 750 bags of food for families this year. Um, so there's a lot of moving parts and, and we have a great team behind us at this point. But man, you know, the journey to get here has been the ride. Um, it, it's, it's been a lot of fun and, and it continues to be that. And if it ever isn't, um, we, we probably wouldn't do it anymore. You yeah. Know? Then we'll just move to Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, as a, as a consumer of a, of a lot of food, especially in my family with having a four and a two year old son, you know, we've had a lot of chefs on and, and we've had a lot of people that have, have been very instrumental in creating, you know, more, I would say not realistic food, food markets or, but, but they understand the importance of what's in the ingredient. How is something created? And I think more people in mainstream are starting to have that conversation, right? Like what really is in my food? I mean, if we look at when I grew up to now, how much stuff is processed, how many things and ingredients that you really don't even know. I mean, just look at the ingredients on a box that you buy from the grocery store. You're putting things in your body that are not healthy, that should not be going in your body. And, you know, one of the things that our organization does a lot with is work with cancer organizations. And I just don't, you can't tell me that cancer is not on a rise due to what you're putting into your body, right? Um, and whether that's pesticides, whether those are things that are harmful. So I think more people are being aware of that. So I appreciate you two kind of being on the front front end of that because it's also great to know that you have chefs in Charlotte that are taking you know that into account. They want to work with farmers that are doing it the right way, that are creating the freshest ingredients, but also you know ones that are going to give us the fuel that we need while not putting in the toxins uh, into our body. So um, I do want to ask you about that. Do you think before we jump into your story, do you think that more chefs now are being you know, more aware of where they're getting it instead of like, hey, I'm just going to get my stuff from U.S. Foods, you know, or I'm going to get it from here. And they really want to have more of that local kind of story and that flavor. Is that is that kind of where you're you're seeing that go? Um, I'm going to I want to say a couple yeah. things. And I think that, I, you know, I do appreciate the the move towards, you know, a focus on ingredients. But I also want to say that, you know, the story of food and good food in, in essence is, is is very complex. And we have to always consider um, inequities in our food system, access to fresh ingredients, um, and, and this kind of narrative that we all have to have healthy food free of toxins. And, you know, I just always have to mention that not everybody has the opportunity to have access to those kind of ingredients. And I think that we always have to kind of st step away from food shaming in that space. Uh, we're privileged to grow food and be close to ingredients that you know, we have kind of control over, we don't have to add pesticides and, and we're trying to get that into as many hands as possible. But I think that, you know, my own personal experience is that learning about food um, kind of exists on a spectrum. And then even then learning about food is a privilege. So, you know, that, that narrative that, you know, that eating healthy food and we all have to do it. Uh, we also have to consider, um, how that how that narrative reaches everybody and it doesn't reach everybody in the same way and it sometimes doesn't even reach people at all um i think that as a food writer when i started writing about food over 10 years ago uh you know one of the great things about the charlotte food community was that um you know as always the narrative about charlotte was that they were you know searching for their identity what is charlotte's food identity but the one thing that i you know consistently saw writing about food even over a decade ago was um, that there were chefs who were, you know, showing up at the farmer's markets, who were looking for those great ingredients. And, um, you know, and I think that's what unified a lot of Charlotte's most creative chefs was that they were really seeking out the best ingredients and they were seeking to be in relationship with farmers. And, and we, you know, we have, you know, the great privilege of, of Charlotte is surrounded by so many farms in the Piedmont. And we had access to so many farmers markets. You know, that was amazing to me when I first moved to North Carolina that we had the Davidson farmers market. We had Yorkmont. We had Matthews, you know, um, South End popped up, Atherton Mill, all that stuff. Now we have the Uptown farmers market, which I work, you know, I, I do that every Saturday with milk glass pie. Um, and then, you know, when I was writing about food and met Jamie, he was, he was thinking about these ingredients and he was, you know, wanting to grow ingredients with a story. He was growing um, ingredients that had history. And most of all, 
because he was a chef, he was thinking about ingredients in terms of flavor. And I think that, you know, when we talk about the connection between like the culinary and the agricultural flavor is, is king, you know, that's what we're really trying to grow for. And now I think when, when people are, are thinking about food sovereignty and, you know, of course there's large corporations that are trying to patent seeds and to, you know, make them GMO, you know, there's a whole group of, of plant nerds out there that are trying to kind of democratize seeds and, and, and preserve open pollinated seeds and, and grow these beautiful ingredients that are like superior in flavor. Um, and we could talk about that later. There's an organization that Jamie's on the board um, called the Utopian Seed Project, which is doing incredible work in North Carolina right now. Do you yeah, so I'll jump in. Um, one of my favorite authors, Wendell Berry, said eating is an agricultural act, you know, and that kind of ties the culinary to the agriculture. And I've learned more in the field about being a better chef than I ever learned in the kitchen. Um, and I get those two go back and forth. You know, I get great ideas for the field when I'm in the kitchen um, and things to grow and ways to use things and how to market things. Um, the two go hand in hand. And, you know, from my privileged place, we have land, we have this platform, um, everything is everything is food. Um, but from that place, like it is my job to educate and to have these questions answered and to get and to feed as many people as possible, regardless of um, stat where they are, you know, um, you know, I grew up with parents that worked two jobs, went to school and worked. I spent a lot of time with my grandparents. Um, we sat down for dinner at the same time every evening. Um, sometimes it was processed. Sometimes it wasn't the best quality food, but it was that gathering at the table. Um, and also that was the only place I couldn't get yelled at. So <laughs> I always, I like to say that I never really left the dinner table. I'm still there, but as a, as a 30 year career long, like I've been in this food industry for 30 years and it's ever changing. And I, I like to say that food never stops moving. Um, but it's a lot like fashion in that sense, but it, it, things come and go, you know, we're going to, we're searching out the furthest ends of the earth for the most exotic ingredients. Oh, we're using local farms to get the freshest ingredients. Oh, we're stacking plates. Everything's getting plated up and things are like really high on the plate. Everything is spread out. We're just plating on the edge of the plate. Like yeah. all of these things like uh, come and go, but the quality and the flavor um, are are the things that have never changed, you know, since, since I've been washing dishes at Denny's at 16 years old, you know? Um, yeah. So tell me, um, and, and I'm, this is, could be ignorant. I don't, I'm not sure, but, are there a lot of chefs that are farmers? Because I feel like that is an incredible trait to have, right? Not only when you're speaking to a chef, you know, you you understand everything from the ground all the way to the plate that's being served, right? And that has to be a very unique skill set in my mind. I'm, I'm not sure how many farmers or chefs or chefs or farmers, but when you're having these conversations with chefs, is that a very unique thing that you're bringing to the table? Because if I was a chef and I get to work with a chef, who also is the farmer. I mean, what, right. who else am I going to, <laughs> you know, I mean, like, yeah. like, so is that, is that unique? Is, is that, is that, is that normal? Or is that something that, that you really bring to the table that, that makes, you know, any chef that's listening to this, they need to reach out to you. They need to figure out, you know, what you're doing differently. Um, that's, that's what I would say. I mean, I'll tell all the chefs, yeah. I gotta get in touch with you. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know who works harder or longer hours, the chef or the farmer, but to do both would be like, I couldn't, I couldn't manage a restaurant right now and manage a farm at the same time. You wouldn't I think sleep. That every, I think that every chef needs a good farmer to bounce ideas off of, to talk about things. Um, and I have quite a few relationships like that. I think that every good farmer needs a great chef to try things out on, yes. to give things to, to, Hey, try this, try this dandelion. I, this is amazing. You have to taste it. Um, and, and those relationships. And that's, I mean, the biggest part of my learning journey has been about relationships. You can be, you know, you can be organic certified, GAP certified, whatever. Like you can have all the plaques on your wall, but it's about that face-to-face -face interaction for me, that mm -hmm. building of trust. Um, 
that that's what makes it all work. One of the things that I will say is um, it's it's unusual to do both. And I will say that I always um, I wrote an essay in a book called Edible North Carolina, which I pulled off the shelf. It's a new book Love it. written by North Carolina Foodways about the regional foodways. But I got to write Jamie and I's story in this book. And one of the things that I wrote about it was um, that, you know, not every chef is growing their food and not every farmer is doing the work of a chef, but somehow in this kind of food life that we've built together, we end up doing both. We straddle the agricultural and the culinary. And I think one of the things that was so fascinating to me about Jamie when I met him, when I was writing about food, was that he was growing food with the mind of a chef. He knew the he knew how to speak the language of chef. And so when he was bringing those ingredients, it was a whole different experience because he was uh, growing from root to leaf and he was looking at the plants in all different cycles and saying, oh, you can eat the bud of this right, you know, right here, right when it flowers, you can do this, you know, in the kitchen. And so he was basically showing them how they could utilize this in the kitchen and everything he provided was chef ready because as a chef, that's what he would have wanted. And so I think that in the beginning, that really set him apart, you know, when chefs were working with farmers, you know, some of them will bring dirty vegetables through the door and that that gives the kitchen extra work to do. They've got to clean the vegetables and do it. But Jamie would have these pristine vegetables coming to the back door that were ready to just be used. And I think that that experience um, was unique. And I still think, you know, we do events on the farm, we cook dinners um, for events. And so we still, you know, he's still in the field harvesting his vegetables. And then he comes in and prepares them for a six course meal that we're cooking for 60 people. Um, I think that's pretty unique. Yeah, that's absolutely yeah. unique. Have you guys ever worked with Craig Barber with Roots Cafe? Um, a long time ago. Okay. Uh, Craig, when he started delivering food before yep. there was fresh list um he was the guy okay yeah cool he's a good friend of mine um and an amazing yeah. chef um and and I've, I've been so proud of how he came from you know the food truck and now has, has continued to grow but one of the unique things when he started that business was that main thing right it was ingredients and and you can't name your your cafe roots if you don't understand really the roots of where that food's coming from um right. and so yeah. he he always challenged not only us about, you know, kind of what we were eating this, but like he would always just challenge kind of our palate in general. I mean, he'd be like, you guys need to try this. And I, I was used to be a really picky eater and he would make something be like, dude, I'm, there's no way I'm going to eat that. And then I'd try it and be like, oh my God, this is unbelievable. So anyways, we got to get you guys reconnected. Um, so I want to jump into this business. I feel like Netflix needs to follow you and create a documentary, like one farm, two businesses, you know, like I feel like it would be fascinating, but tell us what it's like not only from a business standpoint, obviously you each are running um, two, I, I don't want to say separate businesses, but you're two entrepreneurs under one roof, under one farm. Tell us what that's like, because we have a lot of entrepreneurs where, you know, it, it could be a, a, um, a husband and a wife where they each have, you know, two businesses and it just blows my mind. I'm like, how do you, how do you have time to do anything? You know, when you guys are both doing, but it's, it's a passion. It's, it's a drive. If you're an entrepreneur straight up, you were either born that way I think you were born that way. Honestly, I don't think there's people that can just <laughs> become that, right? Like it, you got to take a risk. You got to believe in yourself. You got to understand that failure is going to happen more than success. And you guys are both living that together under one roof. So I'd love to know, you know, not only how that works, um, but tell us a little bit about the businesses and where you guys are right now. Okay. Um, I'll go and then Jamie will go. Um, I will say that I think that, I mean, I, I love our life. And I think that, you know, I, I, I really am sometimes baffled by how we even arrived at this place doing what we do. It is dreamy, but also it isn't a fairy tale sometimes. I think that people on the outside are always like, look at this fairy tale life that you're living. And I think any entrepreneur will tell you that being an entrepreneur is hard work and there's really no time off in that, in that sense. You're constantly like working on the business, thinking about the business. And when you're building something from scratch, you know, I think that there's something different from, you know, being someone who ha is, has a lot of capital as well resourced and kind of comes out of the gate, you know, with whatever resources to just like build something in 30 seconds flat. Um, it's a lot different when you're building something from scratch and really 
you know, making small gains over many years. You know, what we've been doing has been, you know, we've been doing this almost 10 years to get to the place where we are now. Um, but, you know, we're, we're, it's, a, it's definitely a team effort. Um, we are, you know, it is intertwined. You know, Jamie does the field work and has a small team that he works with on the farm. Uh, but I do a lot of the back end stuff. So this morning, Jamie got up and wrote his newsletter to his farmer's market customers. And then I drank my coffee and edited the newsletter. And then, you know, I get, write the web copy for the website and Jamie's packing bags for the CSA, you know, and then I get to work in the bakery. And I, so usually on Fridays, if we're doing market, I'm working all day with um, the, the person who works with me in the bakery. And uh, we work from nine to five and then Jamie's working all that day. And then we take a little break and then around 7 p.m., Jamie and I get back in the kitchen and, and finish baking for market. He's always kind of doing the farmer's quiche for us. So he jumps in the kitchen with me and we cook together and we pack for markets for the next day. So there's always like we're always kind of like doing work with each other's businesses. Um, we're doing it separately. We're doing it together. We're kind of picking up the slack on the other person's and then somehow you know, some sort of housework gets done, the dogs get fed, you know, we feed ourselves. Usually Jamie is feeding me. So yeah. what do you think it's like? So as, <laughs> as small business owners without unlimited capital, we're definitely building the plane as we're flying. You know, um, we started this farm bare bones. Um, as a result of the pandemic, milk glass pie and professional writing for Kia just kind of flipped. Uh, she started a campaign called Front Porch Pie. People needed joy in their life. Uh, everyone was locked down. So she started putting out a weekly menu to deliver pie to people uh, from here to Charlotte. And uh, and that really took off. And, and it was like, okay, this is where the business needs to go. Like, this is, our, this is where we're going. We got to get on board. And we started building from there. And now we have a fully outfitted commercial studio kitchen in our home. Um, and so that was going, you know, we were building, I was building this farm. We were building this farm as I'm working full time on another farm for someone else, because we needed that salary to make this one happen. You know, it's, it's never just like, um, it's, 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 it's just baby steps to get to the next thing as far as building for us. Like that's our experience. Um, but now it's it's like we're sitting square in the middle of everything and, and we have this great team around us and things are just happening and, and we're getting through these these lists, you know, and it's like next week is Thanksgiving. It's the Super Bowl for pie makers and there's 200 pies that have to come out of this kitchen by next Wednesday. Wow. So when the sun goes down, as the nights are getting longer, um, when the sun goes down, I'm cutting apples, I'm washing dishes, I'm helping any way I can so that we can stay on top of this thing. Um, and then we have a short little break and then push through till Christmas. Um, we do take time for ourselves. We do self-care, you know, when we can. And self-care might, might be a hot shower at midnight. Totally. Like that might, that might <laughs> yeah. be it. But we do, we do take breaks. We do take care of ourselves and each other. Um, but it's, um, it's been a, it's been quite a wild ride so far and, and we're on, we only have plans to get better and better in the upcoming seasons. And we talk about like the farm and the bakery, but there is the shrub too. That is like a third business amidst everything else. So, you know, we always say that sometimes that gets the short, you know, the short shrift because we're focusing on the other two businesses so much, but you know, that thing continues to power itself. You know, Jamie will get, you know, he was recently in the fall October issue of Our State Magazine and and boom, you know, like his sales go up and he's, you know, taking a Wednesday to go to Charlotte and brew in a commercial kitchen and then, you know, come back and pack it all up. And, you know, everything that he does, says he's doing to help the other businesses, that's in addition to him being out in the field all day or, what you know, packing stuff up. So, I mean, it's, it's nonstop. We do take breaks. I think that, uh, we've also kind of just made it, made a decision that we're gonna find joy where we can. And sometimes we don't have a lot of time, but we still make time to, to enjoy our life 
and and kind of um, yeah experience it instead of being like in our little hole here. <laughs> No, it, you can tell just from the joy of both of your faces that you love what you're doing. And I, you know, we had a, we actually had a, a chef on uh, right before this who just started his own business. Um, actually, was it Oscar? Oscar? It was Oscar, Jimmy Pearls. It was. So yeah, so that, that's amazing. So yeah, so Oscar was just on. Yeah, and and Coop was not here, but Oscar was. And a lot of it was uh, we talked about having purpose in life, right? And you know, and through my journey and finding the Dunstan group, you know, I was lost in this, this just rat race of, I have to make money. I have to make money, but I never really had a true purpose. There wasn't more to my job. And now that I've been with this company and what we get to do with our communities and the nonprofits, and it's really built up my personal brand, but I wake up every day and I love what I do. Right. And I, and I, and, and to me, it's not work. Like this is what, this is what my life is. Like, this is what I love to do. So you can tell that although you guys are working all the time, you love doing it. Right. And that's, you know, my best advice to anybody listening to the podcast, find something that you're passionate about and you'll never work a day in your life. And people say that all the time, but it's true, especially if you don't like your job, there is something out there for you. Um, I have to ask this question. So Jamie, you said that Kia made you the best pie you've ever had. Is that still the best pie you've ever had? Or what is your favorite pie? That key. My, favorite pie, my favorite pie is the next one. <laughs> <laughs> Great answer. Great um, answer. Yes. Yeah, so, so right now there was a little test going on yesterday with this uh, the Thanksgiving pumpkin pie. Oh. It's a gluten free pumpkin pie, and um, and that I mean that flavor is just you know it takes you back so many places you know and, and I think that's what food does is like the memories you know. Um, so that buttermilk pie that I talked about, like took me back to my grandmother's breakfast table, you know, like when food can transport you like that, um, you're on the right path. And, and that's what, you know, whatever we're digging deep to do, like Kia does old fashioned Southern pies, uh, and other sweets. It's not just, it's not just pies. We work, we're looking through like some of my family heritage recipes, my great grandmother's Christmas egg custard recipe, you know, and, and looking at things like that for the holidays, for special occasions, for dinner events and things like that. She just pushed out like an 11 layer, uh, sorghum apple stack cake for, um, for a silent auction at my mom's church, uh, <laughs> last week in the middle of all of this, you know, and, and, and people were just like blown away at the, at the beauty of this thing. But, um, but holding true to those uh, like old school flavors and, and recipes and things that transport people and, and whatever, whatever comes down the pike, I'm your guy to taste it. You know, like that's, uh, that's really what I'm trying to say. I love it. Now, you, so with the name Kia, you have to have a, a, a bomb ass key lime pie, right? Like you have to, <laughs> there's got to be like, we got to have like a, a trademark Kia lime pie, you know oh, what I mean? We should, gosh, why didn't I think of this? Like, how much do you charge for your consulting? Yeah, fee? no, free. That was free. Just make it. I'll eat it for okay, sure. Okay, yeah. Okay. No, that's amazing. Um, I do make a great key lime pie, and I usually make it sometime around January when citrus is in high season. So we do a, uh, a homemade ginger snap crust, and then we do the key lime filling. Uh, and then we put like a, a sour cream whip on top. That's y'all, yeah. y'all make me hungry. That, that sounds <laughs> so on that. Um, and I want to jump into, to also, you know, your business, Jamie, with the, with the drinks, but how do people, how can I order a pie? How do I, how do I go about buying these amazing pies? Because I want to get some. Sure. Uh, well, I have a website, it's milkglasspie.com and that has most of the information on how you can get pie. Um, during the farmer's market seasons, I'm at the Uptown Farmer's Market in Charlotte. I'm also at the Foothills Farmer's Market in Shelby. During that season, I normally put out a weekly pie menu on the website. You could go to the website, you can pre-order it. Orders usually open Tuesday morning and they close Fridays at noon. And then people who order can choose to pick up in Charlotte or in Shelby at the farmer's market that Saturday. That's normally um, how it works. In the holiday season, we put out, you know, we just closed our Thanksgiving pie menu. We sold out pretty much. Um, and that closed yesterday or Thursday. I mean, Wednesday, sorry. And, um, 
And then we'll be put, launching our holiday menu very soon. And that kind of is open for a window and then people pick up, you know, on the 23rd. So on the website, but I also have a, a newsletter. If you go to the website, you can sign up for the newsletter. That kind of goes out every Tuesday and you get to stay up to date on the events, the pop-ups, the menus, and always our newsletter subscribers get first dibs on holiday menus. So for Thanksgiving, when I release the menu to my subscribers first, they pretty much purchased, you know, a third of the inventory before I even posted it to the public. So like my apple pies were nearly sold out before the public even had time to access it. Um, I so love it's a apple great pie. Deal. I bet your apple pie is so good. I love apple we pie. We do. Uh, yeah. The apple pie, we get, uh, we get apples from our friends at Davis and Sons Orchard. We buy their apple cider and reduce that cider all the way down to like a syrup. And we make that apple cider syrup into a caramel. So then we make a, a version of a caramel apple pie with that apple cider caramel. Oh. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm getting biased. I'm, I'm going to have to cut that's this podcast off and just start ordering. Um, no, that's awesome. And, and that's incre incredible. So everybody go check that out. Um, mil milkglasspie.com. And then tell us about Old North Shrub. So it seems like this came... I guess out of necessity, and then you kind of figured, hey, I got something going here, and now it seems like it's grown a lot. How how does that work? How do people, you know, how can we have the ability to taste that that drink? Is that going to be in different breweries? Like, tell us a little bit about where you're at with that, and how uh, how the population can uh, can get this tasty yeah. drink in their mouth. Yeah, awesome. So, milk, so Old North Shrub did happen by accident. Um, I was I was gonna concoct this drink for serve to serve on draft at, at Free Range Brewing, and that was gonna be the end of the story. And people people liked it, and and people wanted to know how they could get a bottle of it. Um, so I thought, well, you know, I could still do that and still farm and still do all the things. Um, <laughs> and I didn't know what that consisted of. Um, I didn't know the FDA would get involved. I didn't know the USDA would get involved. Um, I didn't know the certifications involved to do these things, but we went down that road and I like to, I like to see things through at least to see if I'm, you know, to make it through to failure, you know, <laughs> yeah. all the way through. Yeah. But, um, I think we've passed that. We've been doing this for six years now and I think we've passed the over and under, um, for failure, people are still enjoying it. We've won a couple awards. Uh, we're in the running for some pretty big awards right now. Um, OldNorthShrub.com is a website, and you can always order from there. We ship it out nationwide. Um, you can always have it on draft at Free Range Brewing, either location, um, and you can purchase it there. Uh, we have bottles in Vintage Charlotte's uh, Pop Shop that is in the old West Elm spot at the Metropolitan through the holidays. You can do a lot of Christmas shopping there in one space and get it all knocked out. But we do have old North shrub bottles and gift sets there. Awesome. Um, and we're in, we're in bottle shops and retailers throughout the Southeast. So it is tucked into some funky little places that uh, you could be traveling in Savannah and stop at having a, a, a back, back in the, the day, day bakery, bakery and say, oh, there's there's old North Shrub, you know, yep. like it, we're in some some cool little funky spots. I love that. So, you know, this seems like a, a well, I don't want to say fairy tale because we always said it's not a fairy tale, but it kind of is. <laughs> Um, where, where do you guys, where, where's the vision from here? Right. Um, you know, it seems like you guys have gotten through a lot, obviously going through COVID, you know, we talk a lot in our business that, you know, now where we're at today, COVID was the best thing that could happen for our company. Right. And the reason behind that is it made us uncomfortable. It made us understand and appreciate, um, every order, you know, there, you couldn't take anything for granted, but ultimately it pushed us to, to make our business better for our community, make our business more accessible, figure out how we can diversify, not only who we're working with, but why we're working with them. And I just think our entire business is at a point where if COVID didn't happen, would we have made those changes and where would we be today? Right. And, and, you know, right. Scott probably thinks I'm crazy when I say that you know, COVID was because <laughs> we literally went from doing great to nothing. But it, I really do believe that. And, and now we have even more of a purpose. Um, and so for your business, especially in the food world, that took a huge hit in COVID. Obviously, restaurants 
Um, and you guys had to adapt and, and, and I hate using the word pivot, but you did. Right. And then you started to find, you know, new avenues. So now that you guys have been through that, you seem to be established, although the farm is still relatively new, where, where's the vision for where you guys want to go? And, and, and I don't want to say this in a negative way, but like in your eyes, what does it take to make this a success? And it already is, but like, what are you guys vision? Cause as an entrepreneur, you're always ready for the next day and you're always like, Hey, you know, what's going to happen. Let's figure this out. So I'd love to see that. Yeah. I, I will say that for many years that Jamie and I, all we wanted was to get a piece of land that we could call our own. You know, that was something that had eluded us. We had lived in a really tiny house in Shelby. We were trying to run these businesses out of like the tiniest, like tiniest spots. You know, Jamie was, you know, coming to farm on a piece of land that wasn't his. And, and that's all we wanted was a piece of land to call our own. And um, in 2019, that became a reality for us. And and so it was like the vision that we held for ourselves became reality. And I love that that journey in entrepreneurship and in life. It's like, you know, the thing that we wanted is here. But now it's like, what is the new vision? And for us, you know, we had always envisioned the farm to be the heart center of all we did. We wanted to consolidate all the things that we did, which felt like they were kind of disparate and scattered across different places. Um, we wanted to bring it into this heart center that is Old North Farm. And and that's happened for us, you know. And so we had always envisioned this as a gathering space, as a place that we could um, start to bring our community to us. We had spent, both of us had spent so many years going outwards, you know, driving miles to connect with people. I was reporting stories all over the Southeast. Jamie was going back and forth to Charlotte to do his work. And so we wanted to to start to bring people here to this very rural space in Cleveland County. And last year we started doing that through having events. Um, we did this big fish fry we call the fish picking. Oscar and Daryl were here. We brought a bunch of different chefs to the farm and it was really cool. It was kind of the, an experiment that's like, if we build it, will they come? And they did come. People came to Cleveland County and the events have been a real success. And so I think our vision for the next the next phase is to continue to really, you know, I think that for a long time when people are building stuff, they're thinking about vertical climbing. And for us, we're 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 smack dab in the center of what we want to be doing. And now it's how do we extend and radiate outwards? And that means just kind of cultivating the space that we're in putting more love into the farm, um, growing more food here, having more events, and, and, and figuring out how to continue to generate from this place and invite people in. Um, our big project is we want to build a big barn space uh, that has uh, room for indoor events. We only have room for outdoor events right now. We want to build a commercial kitchen off that barn, which will be the expansion of the bakery space and also room for Old North Shrub to produce from here. And then Jamie can also have a permanent wash pack area. You know, we're still kind of cobbling these things together and using what we have, but that's that's in the cards for, you know, the next phase and kind of building. But when I think about how people view success, traditionally, it's like, you know, people are like, oh, do you want to like be in grocery stores with your pie dough? Do you want to like, you know, have five bakeries all over the, the state? And, and the answer is no, I don't. You know, I want to continue to create from our heart center. And, um, and you know, that, that success looks very different from here, but we want to support the people who are working with us. We want to continue to give them what they need to feel cared for, to feel inspired, um, to feel like they can, you know, do what they need to do in their lives. And so we want to keep keep cultivating that from this place. Yeah. What's your, what's your thoughts? Yeah. So this, so this place where we are is, is a very rural place. We say we're from Shelby, but we're actually out in the County. Um, and you know, coming up here, you either left when you could, or you felt like you were stuck here. There was textile work. There was uh, a few things going on, but all of that has since died away. So what we're trying to build here, is a vision of a different world. And if people can't leave this place, we want to provide something different. Maybe we bring indigenous chefs in to teach something that no one has ever seen before. We dug a barbacoa pit um, six feet long and four feet wide and six feet deep 
to roast lamb in for this event to teach people about indigenous Oaxacan foodways. Um, you know, like little things like that. And and as far as like, you know, what does success look like, there there's education. People always ask like, what's your favorite thing to grow? What's your favorite thing to grow? And my favorite thing to grow nowadays is farmers. Um, we want we want to teach people and you know we need more folks we want to continue to nurture this uh culture that we're building here and and attract people to this place um there's room for all of that we want to get more efficient in our systems um bigger is not always better we just want to get better um and and that that that's full time you know I love yeah. that. that. That statement, your favorite thing to grow as farmers is, you, that should be like a tattoo you should get. Um, He's pretty good with those. Yeah, that, that's amazing. And it, it's funny, we just had Oscar on. He, he, we actually spoke about uh, the fish pick'em. So we, we, we ah. spoke about that. So it's amazing, full circle, how quickly um, that can happen. You guys, uh, before we kind of wrap this up, you did mention a couple of ways that people can get in touch with you. What's the best way to follow your story? And I will tell you this, the unique thing that you guys have is you have a professional writer that can is right there to be able to literally, I mean, that that's amazing right there, right? Like you talk about food being a story, but you have to be able to tell that story, right? And that's is so important. And you guys have that unique ability to connect what you're doing to publications, to newsletters, to things that people can learn and educate themselves. And I think that's, that's hard for a lot of people. Like there's a lot of businesses that do a lot of great things, but they can never really articulate what that is. They don't know how to message that out there. They're kind of a lost soul with great ideas. You guys have all of that in there. And so that's fascinating. So for, for that, I know you mentioned the newsletter and a couple other things. What's the best way for people to get in contact with you, but also to kind of follow your journey and, and really start to educate themselves, not only what you're doing, but how they can better their lives, better their lives for others and, and, and move that in the right direction. Sure. Um, you know, the easiest way is on social media. Uh, folks can follow the farm on Facebook uh, at Old North Farm. They can follow us on Instagram uh, at Old North Farm WNC. Milk Glass Pie's Instagram is at Milk Glass Pie. Um, we also have, you know, websites. So MilkGlassPie.com. You can follow Old North Farm NC. Old North Farm NC.com. There's a little differences in the socials, and that's because someone had already claimed that handle. But um, and then also, and it lives on the Substack platform. Okay. Um, Pleasant, Pleasant Living really tells our story in detail, and then in real time too. We're trying to continue to document stories from this place and really you know, let people in on the work that we do here, but also talk about the realities. So some of the, it's not always a fairy tale. We want to talk about the realities of living in a rural place and also just the work that we do. Uh, we also share recipes there. So, um, and we're, you know, hopefully we'll, we'd like to add a podcast component to that because we have a lot of interesting people who are living similar lifestyles. So there's many ways to get in touch with us. Um, you know, but those are a good place to start. Um, yeah. I love it. Well, we have the best podcast team in the world. So uh, if you want to start a podcast, we know some people. Okay. Sitting yeah, right here. So yeah, I'll, we will I'll um, make a pie for it. I'll yeah, make a pie for it. They're all DC Melissa and Yash are the best. Um, they've been with us since the very beginning in twenty seventeen when we started it. People ask me all the time, probably twice a week, we want to start a podcast. And most of the time I tell them don't do it. Uh, and I, yeah. I say that because a lot of people are not committed to it. And the average podcast is four episodes and then it, and then it goes away. And the reason, sure. the reason is there's a lot of work behind it, right? So for us, I, the reason we've continued to be able to do it is because of the team around us that really take the big burden off. So if you're going to start a podcast, get a team behind you that can support that. And then you can worry about the fun stuff, which is just talking, uh, and, and listening. That's what I'm, that's what I'm working on. Um, but thank you guys so much. I, um, I want to mention this, and I, this might sound crazy, but I have a four and a two-year-old, and my son just got to go on his first field trip to a farm and has not stopped talking about it today, right? I mean, like it's like every day he talks about the farm, and he just had so much fun. Um, I'm not trying to turn this into a daycare, but have you guys ever done like field trips for kids out to your, <laughs> your place? I feel like, I mean, if you want to grow farmers, get a four-year-old out there, and he will be like, oh, my God, this is what I want to do. 
Yeah. We have had groups out and we're definitely open to that. Yeah. Um, it just has to be a planned out occasion. Yeah, for sure. 100%. Yeah. 100%. 100%. Well, this has been awesome. Uh, Kia and Jamie, you guys should be so proud of, of the journey that you've been on, of what you've been able to create. Um, but ultimately, I think your story is just getting started. I think you guys have now had, you know, so many failures and so many successes and you've kind of learned, you know, who you are individually, but it's really unique that two people can come together and be so successful. And it's not about just money, but it's about being successful in life and, and appreciating the people that you're with and, and, and doing the right thing and helping people in your community and everything that people should be doing in general. I think so many people in America in general are so focused on themselves that they never really open up the ability to help others. And that's really the goal in life. It shouldn't be about how much money you make. You should have fun. You should look at others. And you guys seem to have nailed that. And um, it was just a pleasure to get to meet you. I know people listening are going to want to follow up. I can't wait to have the drinks and the pies and all of those things (laughs) um, together. But yeah, just thank you guys so much for joining us. And it's this is why we started the podcast to share stories like uh, like you guys, because I think even if it's somebody doesn't want to be a farmer or doesn't want to be a chef, you know, this podcast, I think, can tell you and show you what it can be like and what it can feel like if you do something you are passionate about. Right. And if you find something that that's for you, because everybody, there's something out there that's for you. Right. Um, and you might not be doing it right now, but uh, there's there's only a better day. What is it? What's the saying? They say it's uh I don't even know the saying something about like you you start today, start tomorrow, something like that. Um, Yeah, I think you're exactly right. You know, I think love and service are kind of the drivers of what we do and obviously our passion. But, you know, our story is our story. But whatever people, whatever drives people, I think if it's backed by love and kind of a spirit of, of being in service to other people that, you know, you can't lose. Yeah. So I really appreciate the time. Thank yeah, you, absolutely. Kia, Jamie, you guys are awesome. Can't wait. I, I want to come to the farm. So I got to get out to the farm at some point. You're welcome. And I will, uh, I will definitely bring my four-year-old cause he will, uh, he will, he will love that, but bring him. Yeah. We love, we love toddlers. They love to eat all the vegetables. Uh, yes. I need him to be able to eat more vegetables. That's what you, you th- this is it. This is the new journey. It's, it's, we have a farm that makes kids love vegetables. You guys would be billionaires. You would be billionaires. Um, well, awesome. Well, Kia and Jamie, thank you guys so much for joining us. As we always say, like, share, comment, check them out, order pies. I know Thanksgiving's already here, so you probably missed that pie order, but go out to the, the farmer's markets. I know I'm going to do that. My wife loves pies. And um, the problem is, is once I have one of these pies, I'm not going to be able to buy another one anywhere else. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm committed. I'm committed. Uh, but again, thank you guys so much for joining us. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Take care. Absolutely. Until next time, you've been listening to this episode of the Brand Builders Podcast. been listening to the brand builders podcast brought to you by the dunston group with your host scott dunston and brian young for branded merchandise and apparel that makes first impressions and ones that last check out the dunston group at dunstongroup.com